On this podcast, you're going to be hearing some pretty terrible subject matter. We know what you're thinking. That's why we're here. Keep going. However, topics covered may cause emotional or physiological distress to listeners and discretion is advised. Sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Welcome back, guys, to That's Terrible. Keep going. I'm your co-host, Casey Kay. And I'm Amy Kay. And it is the 1st of February for episode four. Pinch punch, first of the month, no returns. <laughs> I love February because I don't know if you remember in Italian, do you remember learning the days of the month at all in primary school, high school? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, Gennaio, febbraio, for some reason, the characters that they had, I always remembered that. And then they come in with July and they absolutely slap us and it's Lulio. Do you remember that? Yeah, because I don't pronounce J. Yeah, I just, I, I don't, for some reason, I just love it. Love you, Italy, babes. I'll see you in August. You, you were real, you were real, Spare real. Spare me, dollar. <laughs> okay, so you guys have waited an extra week whilst we've recorded and researched and edited the episodes ready and waiting for you. So we're back and I hope you liked the first three. And as we promised, this fourth episode is related to last one, right? Yeah, I love a sequel. Yes, we love a sequel. Twilight and New Moon. Oh, we love. And that's touching on last week as well. Oh, not many sequels are better than the first episode though. So pressure is on our first episode or movie, you know. Okay, so just a quick recap. In case you're jumping in at this episode and you didn't do last week, we covered the terribly tragic story of Stephen Stainer, the seven-year-old boy whom was kidnapped in Merced and abused sexually for seven years, to have then escaped and worked towards living a normal life, to then be the victim of a fatal hit-and-run accident at only 24 years old. It was also little Timmy. That's right. And you rescued little Timmy. Yay. You were listening, doll. And so (laughs) right at the end of the episode, I showed little Greggy or Amy Kay a photo that was Stephen reuniting at the home. And you were saying that you spotted someone in the photo. Yes. It wasn't the Brad Pitt lookalike. No. It was this other creepy guy with like a mono brow in the back (laughs) wearing a cap. And he just had this really creepy look about him. Yep. And you were spot on. We have an actual quote from the same journalist from the article from last week at a press conference outside the Stainer house, so as Stephen's returning, and he said, everyone was smiling. There was a lot of jubilation, but, this is his quote, but if you look in the background, there's something worth noting, and it's Kerry in his baseball cup, and he's not smiling at all. And he's staring directly through the lens, not like Tyra Banks in the (laughs) infamous now show Next Top Model would say, stare through the lens or when your dogs, your beautiful greyhounds pose and look us right through our soul, he's staring and it's menacing. Mm. So this man is Kerry. Of course, it's Stephen's older brother, Kerry Stainer, and is at the centre of today's story. Keza. Keza. Now, we don't we don't like him. We're not going to give him a nickname. All right. Because Kez- people have Kez- already actually given him a nickname because he's known as Kerry Stainer, the Yosemite killer. Oh, Yosemite, the park from yes, last week. Yes, the national park. Oh, I didn't know it was going to be a killer. No, I know. Don't worry, doll. I can't hold you accountable for anything you didn't know. So... 
perhaps OG true friends are screaming, going, I guessed it right, I guessed it right, because I would be that bitch as well. All two of our fans, (laughs) mum, dad, nod to you. (laughs) Okay, so let's start a little bit about Kerry. It's going to be a crossover to last week, but I think um, if you you listen to our last episode, you'll um, appreciate the synergy here. So Kerry Anthony Stainer was born August 13th, 1961 in Merced and was the older brother of Stephen by four years and had three other sisters. According to Kerry's former classmate, Jack Bungart, when they were younger, Kerry looked out for Stephen, quote, he loved his brother, you know, hung out with him, played with him. Another school friend, Martin Purdy, recalled, he was kind of a quiet guy. Our days would be just get on our bikes in the morning, go to the park and hang out with friends and skateboard. So just your quiet one of those. You can really picture it, can't you? Mm. Kerry during the kidnapping ordeal. So still painting the picture about him, he was only 11 when Stephen went missing. So while Stephen was missing, his classmate said, there was an air of sadness around Kerry because he was the kid who had just had his brother kidnapped. Um, and it was said that Kerry would look up to the stars, wishing on them for his brother to come home. Aww. Those classmates, quote, he was actually a very, very good cartoonist as well and, and voted most creative at school. So you Random. Know, but- yeah, random, but just a bit more about him. But And a former reporter of the San Francisco Bay Area said that apparently Kerry always wore a hat. So even in that photo that you, you picked out, but yeah. because he was a compulsively pulling out his hair. Oh, no, I, I feel like- so mm-hmm. bad for people that do that. Yeah, and that's like that can be a psychosomatic illness. That is a, a behavioral symptom brought upon by um, psychological trauma or psychological illness. Probably what his brother missing. Maybe, or perhaps there could have been something underlying. This is a bit of a speculation in the case. So I might ask you after about what your gut feel is there. Mm. Um, and emotionally, Kerry Stainer had a tough time during his childhood. More alarming was that Kerry also exhibited some behaviors that made others uncomfortable comfortable, including, as he later admitted, exposing himself to his sister's friends. Yeah. Yeah. Just disgusting. We all know the movie Free Willy, but you actually can't free the willy. <laughs> you can't all. Roland's also quoted that it seemed as though he had a compulsion with trying to get close to women or be sexual with them, but he was unable to develop any sort of interpersonal relationship with any woman. No wonder. So Sean Flynn, again, that journalist at the time, marked on how surreal the differences were actually between the brothers. Stephen was more happy-go-lucky and was happy to get a girlfriend, whereas the brother was left at home and had no real interest in people and was noted to be a bit of a creepy loner. So that's his language, his direct quote. It's giving Todd from Wedding Crushes, (laughs) if anyone knows Todd, the creepy brother. Tummy sticks, tummy sticks. What does he say? I'll come out at the right moment. There it is. Is this quote? But hopefully Todd's not as as disturbing as this individual. So upon Stephen's return home at 14, Carrie was now 18 and apparently they had a very strange relationship. Even though they actually shared a room, it was reported that they didn't get along. Also, remember Stephen was in the mindset of an only child and didn't understand the rules too. And he was getting heaps of attention. You know? Yeah. So Carrie after high school seemed quote, a little lost, like he didn't know where he was was going, said some of the students. At the time, he was known to take refuge in nearby Yosemite, where he'd dr- drive up and get lost in nature. Do you reckon mm. Yosemite knows that she, in all her glory, is such a prominent character in our podcast? The par. Yeah, maybe we'll have to do a podcast-funded trip, a work trip. Oh, 
once we get Funded a few dollars. <laughs> Big Greg. <laughs> Big Greg. Little Greg along for the ride. <laughs> La Lama, another person aware of Kerry at the time, said, whatever demons were clamoring around in his head, by being naked, by smoking pot, he could find the peace that he is so desperately needed. Being naked in Yosemite. Yeah, he's one of you lot the love, that love their nudity. <laughs> Sorry, we're giving a glimpse into Amy's private life. What well, it happens behind closed doors. Doors stays though. in closed doors. That's true, Joel. That's true. No judgment. I mean, I'm sure everyone may indulge in that behavior. But I mean, was this the 80s now? Yeah, it was Yes, the 80s. it was. Good math, Joel. As we know, Stephen died then in that fatal hit and run. And shortly after this, Stephen and Kerry's uncle was shot and killed in home and a home that then Kerry and the uncle shared together. Who broke a mirror in their family? This, that's what I think. One of these events happening, just a fate, fatal hit and run, not the kidnapping, but all these things happening to this one group. Like what was in the water? I, have mm. no, I don't know. So just more terrible tragedy. That's what this podcast is, very on brand. So the article suggests that Carrie Stainer at this time was really suffering, notably by actual nervous breakdowns, one of which was fairly violent apparently, quotation marks. So he was – what, not liking the attention his brother was getting? Or? Maybe, and just a lot. It seems like to me, just as this character is developing, is that there's probably some underlying issues there, mm. um, whether it's pathological, whether it's just something and that it was exacerbated, both the nature and nurture argument by the events of his childhood as well. Uh, look, it's all speculation, but apparently the suffering or the breakdowns wasn't grief as such for the uncle as he later claimed later on in life that the uncle was molesting him. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but it was noted that in 1991, a 30-year-old Kerry Stainer also attempted suicide and also developed a drug habit. So mm. there's a few things here that are symptomatic of some serious mental health issues, you know. So mm. one of his friends, Mark Marchese, said later in an interview, he stated that he felt like jumping into a truck, driving in through the shop and killing the boss and killing everyone in the office and then torching the place. Oh, <laughs> Carrie said that. That's what Carrie openly said to his friend. So not only do you think these things like, oh, I want to burn this place to the ground or whatever as a, a joke, but he felt like it was okay to make a pretty loaded statement like that to a friend. It's mm, not right. And apparently the friend then claimed said, that's when I told him, you need to go see a Dr. Kerry. But unfortunately, instead of seeking treatment for his mental health, Kerry sought refuge again in our bird, Yosemite, where he <laughs> naked <retreated> with the blunt. <laughs> yeah. Now we have to get to the terrible events unfolding at Yosemite. Okay, so a bit of a timeline. Our heads are spinning to follow who and what in the case. So Stephen died in 1989. We are now talking about 1997. Carrie is n around 36 years old and he lands a job as a handyman at the Cedar Lodge of the Yosemite National Park. So it's around about seven miles or just over 11 k's outside the gate of our, our beauty Yosemite National Park. We love it. I'm going to give this a rest. I'm not giving it a rest. Have you seen the photos, doll? If you saw that, oh, she's thick. She's good thick. She's that kind of thick people write songs about. But enough about me. Continue the story. 
<laughs> oh, she's on fire today. February's your month, Joel. Also, just a bit of a background on the stunning Yosemite. <laughs> I actually wrote this here. Yosemite National Park. It's well-known, picturesque, natural wonder. Located in California's Sierra Nevada mountains, it attracts millions of travelers from around the world each year with its towering sequoia trees, cascading waterfalls, and granite cliffs. So you're probably thinking our first sponsor is Yosemite at this point. It's yes. not. That is free advertising, guys, sending all two of our listeners to your parks. <laughs> Mum and dad, enjoy. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy. Not together, that would be strange. Yes. <laughs> Again, so reporter Roland says his idea of serenity was to maybe smoke a little pot and to sunbathe naked. Again, people, a lot of people knew that he liked his nudity. Mm. Strange. And now a lot of people know that you do too, John. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. So, again, this was his ideal job. He'd been working around at the Cedar Lodge for around two years when guests, Carol Sund, 42 years old, her daughter, Julie Sund, 15-year-old, and friend, Silvina Peloso, a 16-year-old Argentinian exchange student, came to stay one night in February 1999. That night, he actually talked his way into their room under the guise of fixing a leak. It is known that Carol was fairly hesitant at first. Like there was something that was stopping her from allowing him to enter. She's looking after two young girls. Yeah. And just that, call me crazy, but a woman's gut, a woman's intuition, and maybe a man's too, but we all know women are better, have this gut that they read, they pick up on small cues that something's not right. So apparently there was some hesitation at the door and Kerry persisted and she, okay, she let him in. Here it gets pretty terrible. Keep going. <sighs> Carrie strangled Carol, sexually assaulted Sylvina, the exchange student, and strangled her and sexually assaulted Julie, the daughter. He put Carol and Sylvina's bodies in the trunk of the Pontiac that that, that that group had rented, the Pontiac car, and then he forced Julie to ride with him for hours as he searched for a place to dump their bodies. So oh. she's alive. The exchange student that would be, by all rights, her friend and her mum were in the trunk. Dead? And, well, I think she at that – I'm assuming the strangling, he'd had to like somehow subdue them to put them in their back. But so she probably doesn't realise. Maybe either she knew or she didn't know. and But otherwise she knows that this is not good. This is a absolute – you know, monster at this point, and she's the only one that's alive, not knowing where they're driving or what they're going to do. And he, she's been sexually assaulted, but then he then slits Julie's throat oh. and left her body near a creek before returning to burn the Pontiac. Carol, Julie, and Sylvina were missing for a month before their bodies were found. Oh, my gosh. Were the bodies still in the car when he burnt them? Oh, yes, but the mother, Carol, and the exchange student, Sylvina, were found in the boot of the charred remains of the Pontiac. Oh, dear. The bodies were burnt beyond recognition and were identified using dental records. So disturbingly as well, this is this is where it gets really sick. A note was sent to police with a hand-drawn map indicating the location of the third victim, Carol's daughter, Julie. So did Carrie feel bad or? Well, the top of the note read, we had fun with this one. Oh, yeah. Yep. Invest- and who's we? Is he, is he thinking he's clever, like throwing people off and thinking it's a group, you know, throwing them off the thing. So before when you said, you know, he wasn't getting attention and all that sort of stuff, is he doing this when they have a need to, you know, have this chase or have this presence, this kind of self-centered belief that it's about me, 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 to send a note to the police, you know? Mm. Investigators went to the location depicted on the map and found the remains of Julie. Her throat had been cut so fiercely that she was nearly decapitated. Oh. 
Because the victims were found on a national park, so national land, the FBI quickly became involved. Jeff Rennick, at the time an FBI, FBI agent handling Kerry Stainer's case, said that the search for the women was the, quote, largest ever mounted on Yosemite at the time. I wonder if he tried to do a mounted pun. <laughs> Sorry, it's not that funny, but uh, very punny. Uh, five months passed without another killing and the community surrounding Yosemite was lulled into a sense of calm. So the FBI, through their investigation, actually had men in custody. So plural, men, because they thought we had- we it was a team. Yeah. yeah. Um, believe were responsible. Had told the public that they believed they had caught the killers, but unfortunately they were wrong. Now we head to our next crime of Joie Armstrong. So five months later, on July 21st, 1999, when Carrie saw Joie Armstrong, a 26-year-old naturalist at Yosemite Institute who taught children about nature in the park, she was walking through the area and, quote, something instantly changed. He was ready to kill again. Carrie held her in her cabin at gunpoint, bound her hands and mouth with duct tape and forced her into his vehicle. Armstrong was able to jump through the window of a moving truck. So she she's a fighter. She kept going. She really, like, when these women fight back, they, they don't care. They, she, when they were driving, she jumped through. Yep, the window of the moving truck. But Stainer chased her down and beheaded her. Oh, gosh. After her friends reported her missing, police found signs of a struggle at her cabin and half a mile away they found her body. Her head which had been removed, was found several feet away in the water. Des Kidd, former medical director at Yosemite who participated in the search and rescue, said there wasn't really much time for us to speculate on whether this was related. I mean, it became related very quickly. Mm. Fortunately for investigators, investigators, Kerry left a substantial amount of evidence in and around Armstrong's cottage. And eyewitnesses said they saw that the blue 1972 International Scout, and I looked this up, so it's an American car. It's a kind of off-road two-door SUV pickup style truck. So it's yeah. probably – like You know those Suzuki two-door SUVs? You lost me at Suzuki, Joel. <sighs> wouldn't want to remember something like that. No, but no, no I, I think it was more truck-shaped, so not one of those like um, – comp- Compact ones. Yeah, this one's – yeah, more of this one's more of a bigger off-road type. Right. So, But parked outside the cabin where she was staying and detectives traced the vehicle to Kerry. But initially, investigators were searching for him only because his vehicles had been seen near her her place, and they thought he would be a more of a natural witness to interview as opposed to being the perpetrator himself. So, at the witness style interview, Kerry allowed a search of his car, but he was pretty standoffish and refused a search of his backpack he carried. But because the investigators were investigating a murder in which the victim's head was decapitated, the backpack was seized in anticipation of them, you know, pretty certain that they could gain a search warrant. Mm. Kerry was interviewed a second time that day later and again denied having been in the area of Joie's cottage the previous day. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Pants on bloody fire. The following day, Kerry failed to report for his shift at the Cedar Lodge, which is interesting. Um, another point I should mention as well, authorities had actually already interviewed him on the three previous murders because he was a staff at the lodge, but he was discounted really quickly because he was calm, unemotional, and didn't have any helpful information. So they're kind of aware of him, but like that already in their minds perceived him not as a, a potential suspect. Mm. So Again, the following day, he he didn't rock up to work. 
not a sticky. You didn't have COVID back then, doll. Mm. And the following, and at this point, investigators believe he was fled and shared his image with the media. As it happens, Kerry actually fled to Laguna de Sol, which was, maybe you'd like to take notes, a nudist park about <laughs> 100 miles or 160 k's from where the last crime against Joao actually took, Joao Armstrong took place. So again, he, he loves this bloody idea of, <laughs> he, you know, skin skin to sun. He might, you know, just enjoy. He might like some anal gazing. I, how did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> anal gazing, I found out recently, is when you, you know, uh, Go on. pull down your pants and spread your cheeks. So moon point, to moon, if you would. Yes, and point your Poopy little hole? balloon knot up at where the sun is. <laughs> and apparently you get your energy from the sun and because that spot is hasn't been touched by the sunlight before. Uh, yeah, and they call that process of getting energy from the sun, from your balloon nut, anal gazing. I mean, each their own, but on this podcast we we would recommend 50 plus SPF and to be really, really cautious of your precious skin, ladies and gentlemen. We don't want little leather bags when you're turning 40, do you, dolls? No. And no skin cancer. Go get your checks. Go get a mole map. Isn't that right? We get them, don't we, Greg? Yes. Yes. Okay. Anyway, back back to the story. So again, he's he's found out this nudist park. So I think actually people, because he was on the news and he was on newspapers, had actually spotted him sitting at a restaurant by himself. Again, he's he loves to be nude. He himself was actually clothed at this place and wearing his cap that we know he loves so much, but he was spotted and investigators found him and he was brought in for questioning where he confessed to murdering Joie Armstrong, describing the brutal killing. So in graphic detail, almost as if he was reading a soup label, said one of the FBI agents. So again, emotionless and unattached. Before confessing, Kerry actually tried to negotiate with authorities to trade his confession for a jail supply of child pornography. My mouth is open. Are yeah, you guys, joking me? Her luscious lips have dropped to the floor. Like this is ridiculous. Authorities did obviously didn't comply with any of this, but soon after anyway, he um, also confessed to the killings of Carol Sund, Julie Sund, and Sylvina Peloso. So uh, it baffles me. And not to run over it, but the child pornography, knowing what happened to his brother, it's just sickening. Do you think he was trying to be clever or smart ass? He could be. That could be like a an explanation. But no, the, no one with sound mind would ask the police. Oh, for, like I'll tell you where they are if you give me child pornography. It's like just where nuts. does he get off? No. Oh. So, oh, <laughs> wrong, oh, phrase. Oh, wrong phrase. Yosemite Park gets off we know, at Yosemite Park. We all get off at Yosemite Park. Oh. Don't sponsor us Yosemite. <laughs> like America in California would sponsor. Well, they should. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> look, I'm desperate. I'm desperate. <laughs> okay. It, it should be mentioned that it was only, um, it wasn't only the confession that nabbed him. So even if he wanted to trade or negotiate, there was heaps of physical evidence that was tying him to the crime. So the Rollins, the reporter said, I went to ask if Kerry wanted to talk. He said, I want you to get a hold of some producers in Los Angeles. I want a movie of the week made about my story. Wow. Yep. Roland remarks, there was a movie made about Steven Stainer and he wanted the same treatment he wanted 
he wanted the world to take note. Wow. Again, another journalist said, as far as I know, he's never talked to anyone about the effects Stephen might have had on his crimes. I'm mm. not sure there is any direct cause and effect. Stephen could have grown up normal and happy and healthy and Kerry still could have been a serial. Yeah, and it's certainly not Stephen's fault no. for being kidnapped. Absolutely. But another article suggested that during the trial, Kerry or Kerry's defence team tried to gain some sympathy from his brother's plight by suggesting he was neglected by his family as they focused on Stephen's return. Um, Though the parents admitted as much, the jury didn't buy it, especially since he admitted to fantasising about killing women since he before his brother's kidnapping. That's just not cool, dude. So there's, there's so much evidence here on what was said because – Kerry just liked to talk. I'm, I'm making little talking hands at the moment, but he just yapped his mouth off to anyone who would listen. Mm. So he was filling in a lot about the details. So when I knew that Carol, the mum, hesitated at the door, it's because Kerry was almost gloating or boasting that he was able to convince her to go in after how hesitant she was. Mm. So I've got zero sympathy. Yeah. I, I do for the fact that the family went through that, but for um, Kerry, he said, Seems like in many cases he was born with that monster element as well. For sure. So a bit about the trial. He was trialed in both the federal and state court. The federal case was Joie Armstrong's murder and the state's case was the terrible crimes against the three other women. So they were going to slap the book at him with as much stuff that would stick. Kerry pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity to the other murders in state court. But the expert, um, Dr. Jose Arturo Silva, testified that Kerry had obsessive compulsive disorder and perhaps mild autism and paraphilia, however, was nonetheless found sane. So you can have those conditions. And the very fact that he was trying to negotiate, he was asking for, you know, all this stuff, his premeditation yeah, to write that note. Shows that he's got sound mind. Yeah. What is paraphilia? So paraphilia, um, gosh, I'm going to use old terms. It is described as like, God, this is testing my psych knowledge, but it's like a sexual deviation towards atypical sub- objects, scenarios, Um any sort of context where it's a sexual drive towards something that you shouldn't be sexu- like oh, sexualized did, by. Yeah, did you ever see that documentary on that woman that was in love with the tree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And or the train station. The train as well. station or balloons or people love. So it's, it's, um, but in this case, it's the paraphilic or paraphilic tendencies is when you are sort of compulsively driven or obsessed with the idea of doing that as well. So it's a massive broad spectrum of symptoms and um, a degree to which you are paraphilic. Um, They often consider, you know, the pedophiles and, and that range of people also paraphilic because it's atypical that you should be sexually attracted to something that cannot reproduce. So yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's my recollection of it from psych. So he was declared sane. So throw your insanity plea out the door, mate. Um, But during the trial, Carey stunned the courtroom when all of a sudden broke down in tears and apologized. And he quotes, I wish I could take it back, but I can't. He said, I I wish I could tell you why I did such a thing, but I don't even know myself. But Um, you were just gloating about it. I know. So I wonder how performative this is. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I wish there was a reason, but there isn't. It's senseless. So I wonder how much this is saving face and all that. But ultimately, in August 27th, 2002, uh, he was sentenced in federal court for first degree murder. um, Murder. 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 But yeah, first degree murder um, for Joie Armstrong, kidnapping resulting in death, 
attempted aggravated sexual abuse resulting in death, and then the federal um, criminal penalty was life without parole. Thank gosh. And for charges brought to him by the state of California, it was three counts, first degree (laughs) murder. Murder with special circumstances, kidnapping. The book was thrown at him. If only that happened to Stephen's perpetrator. Yeah. You know? Um, But he was sentenced to death and remains on death row at 61 years on in San Quentin currently. So he's still alive and still on death row. Wow. And that's the end of our little sequel from Ep 3 to Ep 4, guys. Thank you so much for listening, Mum and Dad. (laughs) And all of our other listeners. Yes. Yay. Max, Um, our brother, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) And and some of my my, my friends and their original true crime lovers. So they probably even heard of this case and you still chose to listen. So thanks, everyone, for the support. Uh, You don't have to wait. There's not going to be a break next week. You're going to get another episode um, next week and it's a fun one. So we've, we, you know, we've had a few abductions. We've had a female serial killer and starvation doctor. Mm. We've had unfortunate child abuse, unfortunately. We just had our first male serial killer. And next week we have our very first on the podcast as well. But I'm not going to be spoiling the goo. Variety is the spice of life. <laughs> it is. Put that in your journals, Jules. Okay, well... On behalf of TTKG, we're going to say TTYL. See you soon. Bye. Wait, don't go. If you like us or want us to keep going, please help us with a like, share, rate or review of our podcast. This helps us reach more listener friends and would mean so much to our little podcast. Have you got a terrible story of your own? A connection to true crime or something terrible? Write to us at ttkgpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know who you are, where you're from and whether the story and names are safe to share on the podcast. Feel free to tell us if you wish to remain anonymous. We would love to hear from you, and we would love to share your terrible tales with our listener friends.